Joe presents Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby, together with Guinness. Hello and you're very welcome to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby here on Joe, together with Guinness. Happy Easter Monday to all our Penguins out there. We hope you're keeping well. We've got a serious show lined up for you today. Uh, We'll be chatting a lot of rugby, unfortunately, this week. Uh, We've got Dave McHugh from Line Up Sports joining us. We've got who is a rugby agent who looking after the likes of James Ryan, Connor Murray, Type Furlong, Rob Kearney, and also will be joined from his farm in England by Mr. Will Addison. Oh, oh. Uh, and then we'll also be doing our classic album, which is Automatic uh, for the People by R.E.M., who are celebrating 40 years as a band this week. And also our film of the week is Good Will Hunting because we love Will Addison. How are you, Trimby? Happy Easter. Brilliant, Barry. Great intro. By the way, you're becoming very professional. Thank you. I've nothing else to do, man. <laughs> Isolation suits you. Um, How many Easter eggs do you have? I haven't had any Easter eggs. I just eat the leftovers from the kids. <laughs> and then if one of them asks me, well, who had all my Easter eggs? I blame the other one. <laughs> It's just fights going on all over the place. And you've just yeah. chalked, chalked it all over your face. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't had any Easter eggs, actually. Like, no. We're too old for Easter eggs, by. Yeah, apparently the calories in the actual Easter eggs are way higher than, than they would be in a chocolate bar because they have to make the mold and make them uh, set in a certain way. So you'd be doing yourself out of all that training you're doing, all those press-ups by eating Easter eggs. Yeah, um, that's all falling by the wayside anyway. I used to lie. One of my one of my biggest faults as a child was I had I had a few major lies that I would tell each year, and it was how many Easter eggs I ate. I would like I'd come to school month on the Tuesday, I'd be like, yeah, I had forty Easter eggs, uh, or around Pancake Tuesday, I'd be like, yeah, I had seventy five pancakes yesterday. And what? Prove it. And I used to lie when I went to confession in in uh, in mass because um, I felt pressure. That I that my my naughtiness wasn't naughty enough, so I used to go in and make up lies <laughs> to tell your man inside in the box. Be like, uh, yeah, I stole my uh, my sister's marker, and I I called my mother a fool or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you toned it down for the priest. <laughs> I called her a silly Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that that was that was yeah that was the beginning of the end for me. It was like making up lies for. For the <laughs> confession doesn't work. Yeah, um, I, I once um, got invited. Uh, Johnny Davis was an old SNC coach um, uh, with Ulster Rugby, and they, um, his wife's family are Jewish, and they were celebrating the Passover one Easter. <laughs> so I brought an Easter egg, <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized I got to the door and I was like, "Oh, thanks for having me." And um, there's your Easter egg, and then I went, "Oh no." <laughs> what's the passover what do they do do they definitely don't eat easter eggs no they don't no well he, they were obviously um they're not that they're not that jewish like they understand yeah. like they live in Belfast. Yeah. yeah yeah uh but um yeah it was a fascinating it was a whole like all, trying, all to eat, trying to eat it before they answer the door <laughs> yes oh no. <laughs> oh no the extra calories the barry told me about <laughs> really coming into play here uh, yeah, I think uh, they were like um, they, they were grand. They were they were they were happy enough about it. Okay, and better better than rivaling with with nothing. So 
mm. on Easter egg anyway to, to sell like I, I, a Christian um, <laughs> a Christian item for your <laughs> <laughs> the body and the eggs the chocolate eggs right this is what it's all about yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, so go on talk to me how's your week four been I feel like maybe it's taken me four weeks um, and to get to get into this condition <laughs> not physically <laughs> it's taken me four weeks to get physically into this condition <laughs> in a less positive sense um, to get into the zone you, yeah you i feel like i completely unwound isolation is 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 just suiting me more and more uh, maybe just because the weather's been so good over the weekend but a couple of things that i've, I've only kind of picked up on or realized um kind of why why it works so well because there's no FOMO. <clears throat> my sister, my sister like, told yeah. me about this and she goes, um, you, you know, no one else is out. No one else is doing anything fun. So when you're sitting in the house, you're way more content and you're way happier. That's, I, that dawned on me as well this week. Or yeah. like no one's doing any proper work or anything substantial. They're like, so you don't have to be uh, effective with your time. You don't have to get dressed at all. You can just <laughs> yeah. stay in your underpants all day. <laughs> I think they should bring this in after coronavirus. They should bring this in. There should be a like a six week um, isolation period over the summer every year. Yeah, yeah. Summer's right. so because the weather made such a difference at the weekend. Weather's important. Weather's Unbelievable. Important. <laughs> I um I started getting into gardening at the weekend. I was like phenomenal. Yeah, um, the gardens around our place, honestly, they're incredible. Because we would just walk around the corner. Like I bring the the kids and their bikes and stuff just around the corner. Some of the gardens, like we've, I've took a lot of pride in my garden over the last while as well, but mm. still there's some incredible gardens out there. Uh, have you been watching Peter Romani on Instagram? Uh, yes, his is unbelievable. Rory's is the same, the two of them. I think they just they're get like, together and talk about if, lawnmowers. If they're like, they're modern day man, uh, top of the rung in terms of gardening. I'm like prehistoric man, maybe like 113,000 years ago. I've just learned how to use, how to use tools so I can dig now. I've 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 fashioned myself a digging device, which I I don't know what I'm doing with it, but I'm digging. I'm just doing something made out of musical instruments. <laughs> and it's embarrassing because my dad's unreal in the garden, and I'm actually um, I need to make a public uh, service announcement and apologise to my parents for uh, drag dragging their names through the dirt last week um, and saying that they had porn in their house. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That, uh, that I did that to you and I dragged the family's name through the dirt. I hope you can find it in your hearts to forgive me. That uh, apology is as sincere as uh, whenever I say, Jack, stop hitting your sister. Say you're sorry. And Jack goes, sorry. <laughs> it never changes. <laughs> My dad got on to me to say, I never watched that video. I, the only time I ever saw it again was when we were changing the sock drawer and I, I realized that the you, one of you had just left the box in it and had taken the de- the video out <laughs> for years. So um, I endeavor this week to make my parents proud and not drag the family name through. I did think as you were telling that story, I was <laughs> it, it. It wasn't a quick story either. <laughs> mm. You did. You were talking about your mum and dad's porn collection for a long time. It, it was. It wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> my mother did have. Uh, a dirty book in her bookshelves. Sorry, <laughs> don't do it again. <laughs> in her don't, room. Don't was, do it again. It was a Jilly Cooper book. It was like the 1980s equivalent of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. 
There's going to be another apology next week. No, but this is this is like a regular book, like, and I used to go up there every once in a while and and, <laughs> and read passages in it. I'm like, oh my God. It was set in a polo club in America where there was awful stuff going on, and uh, I remember thinking, like, when I got a bit older, that like, I was wondering if you pulled the book out of the dirty book out of the bookshelf that the bookshelf would swing around <laughs> i mean like this old staircase that would go down to like this some sort of a dungeon down <laughs> or your dad's locked up he's chained to the wall <laughs> <laughs> sorry 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 dad well gardening so i've been trying to make him proud in the garden and uh i got a power hose and i'm now a different person I've yeah, power. Wow. wow. I'm planning on getting one. Oh man. The yeah. power. The power. Mm. I've been just power hosing everything and anything that moves. Or the babies. Like, the babies. Or like, will, will you <laughs> will you give the babies a bath? And I was like <laughs> light them up. <laughs> no, I thought they'd be too pussies. They couldn't uh, they wouldn't be able to take the power. Um <clears throat> and I realized that that at most jobs that I'm good at around the house. Are, have the have the word power in the title, mm-hmm. like power hosing. Yeah, power get started. Power napping. Mm-hmm. Or as or as that's question. not a job. That's not a job around the house. She said it wasn't the job around the house, but I <laughs> I differ. I had one more um, power pissing. It's a stretch. <laughs> Do you know when you wake up in the middle of the night and uh, and you might have for some reason to have a boner uh in the middle of the night <laughs> <laughs> and then you try and take a piss and you're bursting for a piss but you're because you went to bed reading your mom's book <laughs> <laughs> and your body's like a right angle <laughs> with your boners and you're trying to like bend yourself in half because <laughs> you're pissing like a laser your piss is so it's like zing <laughs> Like a bar hose. Yeah, it's like, it's like so uh, I'm very good at that. Yeah. It's tricky enough. Um, but other than that, yeah, I've been watching. So I'm going to give you my my uh, latest TV stuff quickly, and then we'll move on and we'll get Dave McHugh on the on the phone um, to see what all the rugby players are up to. <clears throat> so speaking of, of uh, the Jewish uh, community, have you seen Unorthodox on Netflix? No. Great show. <laughs> oh, anyway. man. No, not good. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> to watch it. Uh, it's about the Hasidic community in New York City and this girl who's trying to uh, escape from it because it's quite controlling and she's quite artistic. So she uh, she's been had a, an arranged marriage. She's married. Um, he's a bit of a lunatic, and they they're all lunatics. Re- well, in their own right, they're not. But uh, from our perspective, they look mad. <clears throat> And she moves to Berlin to kind of try and pursue a life in music. And it is, it's only, it's only four episodes long. And I recommend it for like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where you're kind of at that part of your week where you're getting stuff done and you're a little bit more reserved and you th- you're thoughtful, right? Yeah. I, I feel like um, you said through something else the other day, um, your man Core, uh, mm. some documentary. Jim Core's uh, latest, yeah, and I, I feel like um, I was I was telling you that I'm loving isolation. I'm loving it because um, it's a time to unwind and spend time with family, and 
and not feel under pressure to be productive with your days and put yourself under under pressure. Mm-hmm. Apart from when I get a text from you, it's <laughs> 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 always like watch Will, uh, go watch Google hunting, listen to REM Automatic for the people, <laughs> um, watch the documentary on conspiracy theories. Yeah, uh, a couple of other things. You are the only one putting me under pressure these days. It's good for you. It's keep you on your toes. I, I honestly, I've got a list. I've always got a like a to do list. Most of them are things that you have me to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I you like you curb your enthusiasm was my recommendation for everyone should watch curb your enthusiasm in the morning uh, after their for the morning coffee. Just sit there and watch an episode of it because it's it, my favorite thing at the minute. It's unbelievable. He's yeah, the first. Larry David came out and said um, to, to something to the effect of mm. um, uh, stay at home. <laughs> but he said, you're missing a wonderful opportunity <laughs> to stay <laughs> in the house and watch TV. Do nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like, Larry, you're spot on. He is. He's a genius. Man. The other thing is, the other, the other reason why there's no pressure is because, and Anna pointed this out, um, you know no one's ever going to call the door. So you never have to have the house tidy or you never have to... No, no, one, no one's ever going to interrupt you. It's brilliant. I'm loving yeah. it. Um, do you want a, a quick cat update? Oh, yes. Uh, so a few of the, the, the lesser cats, the less um, favorited cats, uh, they've kind of fallen by the wayside. So it's Ginger and Reva are the two main cats that come what's, around. Ginger. What's the second one you say, Reva? Reva. What do they look like? One one looks is like is Ginger Ginger Stripey. We don't we don't think that's her name. It might be. Oh, Reva's her name. I thought that was a type of cat. Oh no, no, uh, um, no. Reva is yeah, like kind of brown stripey. But um, Ginger was around the other night, and I'm not I'm not really a cat person. I'm only kind of getting to know cats. And Ginger was walking around. Uh, we were barbecuing. And we were sitting outside. Ginger was walking around, strutting her stuff, and I and I noticed I couldn't I couldn't stop. I couldn't. Um, not look at her ass. <laughs> and I noticed um, just as long as you weren't getting the boner, it's fun. <laughs> I noticed her her ass looked like um like um a midi port, M I D I port, like a <laughs> you know the port like for um for musical instruments going into computers. I only come across this last week because we was kind of trying to record. It's like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I thought, like, for you, you know. Is that like is that a big thing for you? Because you're obviously very musical. You're are those two amazing things in your life, like cats and recording music. I haven't tried to stick a MIDI wire up my cat's ass. That's what you get into the cat's ass, <laughs> play away, and then the cat will sing <laughs> sing the song. I've got a little MIDI keyboard. It's like got twelve keys on it. So I just sit there like this, playing it, and the cat is here next to me, plugged into it. <laughs> yeah, will it just sing? In meows, meow, 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 meow. You are really coming into your own in isolation. That's that's the best thing you've ever said. I think. Well done. Thanks. I've said better. I don't know. I don't know. Two of my favorite things combined. Yeah. One other quick observation: the NHS clap, the appreciation clap on Thursday nights at eight PM. Why? What do you mean? No, I'm introducing the topic. So <clears throat> everybody goes out and does the NHS or to the HS. Oh yeah, yeah. The appreciation clap. Stand at your front door and clap. Mm-hmm. You know what I noticed? The it's like facing the hacker. 
no one wants to be the first to turn and go back into their house. <laughs> you got you don't want to just yeah yeah okay. so everybody just keeps clapping. <laughs> then it gets awkward. You start pulling weeds out of the front of your front of your lawn or something. <clears throat> it's like the standoff between Wales and the All Blacks that time. Remember, Wales didn't turn their backs. Yeah, and they all just stared at each other. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it wasn't Nigel? Who was it? The ref, whoever the ref was, was panicking. Yeah, yeah. It's like this game's never going to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know that was a thing that you can't <clears throat> until I saw that recently. Yeah, I don't know if it still is a thing. It was back then, but I think Wales kind of drew attention to it, and then they realised, well, this is going to be the start of every time any yeah, team yeah. ever plays the All Blacks, so we have to stop it, put an end to it. Very. Cool. That'll be happy. That's we better rugby there. Yeah. All righty. Well, look, we, as we said, we have a great show for you. Um, we've got uh, Dave McHugh joining us on the line. We've got Will Addison. Uh, we're also going to talk about Monster versus Sale 2006, because as many uh, platforms are doing, they're showing games at the moment, classic games, and everyone's tuning in to watch them at the same time, which was very enjoyable the other night. And actually, over the next few weeks, Virgin Media Sport are going to start showing classic Ireland matches from the Six Nations. Um, this weekend, they're showing on Friday night uh, the Guinness Six Nations 2020 story so far. Uh, then they're showing Ireland versus England from Croke Park. Then they're showing Wales versus Ireland Grand Slam 2009. Saturday, England versus Ireland 2004 uh, will we beat the world champions. Uh, and then England versus Ireland 2006, the Triple Crown. And England versus Ireland 2010, another Triple Crown. Then Sunday, the Grand Slam all day from 2018. Oh, that's, that's going to be class. So mm. we might talk about a few of them next week, um, <clears throat> see how many we can get in. But in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with David McHugh. You're listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Now we're joined by Dave McHugh from Lineup Sports. Uh, Dave, thanks a million for joining us, man. Where in the world are you and how's isolation going? Uh, I'm at home in Ranla, um, morphing from the new week of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yeah, we're all getting used to it, Dave. Um, uh, like, are you? Obviously, it's things are difficult at the minute for everybody, um, uh, financially, economically, everything. But um, for yourself, are you trying to see this as a nice opportunity to to relax, to to maybe just slow down a little bit, enjoy some time with family, get get the silver lining. Yeah, like it's kind of weird. You kind of go through a roller coaster of emotions from worrying about the commercial side of the business and how long this actually might go on for. But it's also in some ways been a nice time to uh, disconnect and reflect. And, you know, it's always good to uh, take some time away and take a macro view of the business and the industry and try and decide what you're going to do next and how you're going to do it. The challenging part of this is that none of us have a crystal ball and we don't really know what the short, medium and long-term impacts of uh, this pandemic are um, on the sports industry. And it's only a tiny part of what's going on in the world. Um, the, the impact, as you say, we don't, we don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know how devastating this is going to be to sport or rugby uh, in general. But am I right in saying that Irish rugby is probably slightly safer or the provinces are slightly safer and then that, that they've got the support of the IRFU and um, every club in England or every club in France, they're kind of, they're on their own. Is there something to that? 
Yeah, it certainly has highlighted another benefit of the centrally contracted system um, in that there ultimately is one financial support in the background. Um, again, depending on the length of the break in play or the break in sport will determine the impact it will have um, on gate receipts or sponsorship or television rights. and. Um, I think the IRFU and the Orc PI moved very swiftly to address the players' concerns around payment and um, certainly the deferring of their salaries is a more positive outcome perhaps than some of the English and French clubs, which act as limited companies and um, are, are somewhat siloed. Yeah, okay. Well, so then let, let's get into the, the individual players then because uh, Ethan and Siwa put something up on Facebook um, a week or two ago. And he said, spare a thought for the guys who are retiring. Um, so obviously that's an emotional thing, really, because guys maybe don't get the send-off that they would like. But what about the slightly more tangible, hard-hitting impact of guys who are maybe playing for a contract? Yeah, I think it's, it's difficult, of course. Um, I think, you know, because of our partnership with eSportif and the fact that it functions very well, there's a finite number of players only in our group um, whose futures are somewhat undetermined and, and it's ones and twos. Um, I think it depends on the stage of your career and I think the medium to long-term impact will probably have an impact on the salaries that clubs will pay, pay in the future. Uh, so there's a few guys in limbo, but it's, it's in the minority. What about the academy players, Dave? Uh, we heard that they were supposed to get an update on on their positions on March thirty first, and um, we ha- haven't heard anything about that. Where where are they standing? Uh, I, truthfully, I'm not a hundred percent sure. My understanding was in the announcement from RPI and IRFU that players who were paid below a threshold that their income was not going to be uh, impacted. Um, now, how will they draft for next season's academy and sub-academy? I think it would be very difficult at the moment to uh, determine how that will work. I presume transfers and stuff like that, a lot of that will be put on hold as well. Um, or would a lot of those been done already in the earlier in the season? Again, I can only speak from our perspective. And uh, our you know, system with eSportif means that we have the majority of our players secured for next season. Okay. Uh, when do the contracts typically typically run to the end of June, Dave? Is that right? Uh, yes. So if um, if this delay, like obviously it's all hypothetical at the minute, no one really knows what's going to happen. But if one of the potential things they were talking about was um, just running playoffs um, uh, in in June or July, if things run on till July, potentially could any new signings for next year, for for example, Ulster could potentially play Albie Matthewson and um, and uh, who else did they sign? John Madigan. Madigan. Could they, mm-hmm. sign, could they play those two if, if it runs into next, like whenever they're technically contracted? Yeah, Madigan. Again, I can't answer that question entirely um, because I don't know what the future looks like and whether we're still going to have uh, restrictions on travel in June. Um, you know, certainly they're talking about a, a relaxation from May onwards um, from the restrictions that we're currently facing. 
but it may take longer to see a resumption of international travel. So if LB Matheson has to travel from New Zealand, um, it's probably a bigger issue as to whether he's able to, um, you know, and like every person on the planet, the future looks like people in the short term will have to quarantine for a couple of weeks if they travel internationally. Um, so I'm not really too sure how it's going to affect players who are traveling from outside the island of Ireland. Take um, us back to uh, the start of your career, Dave. Uh, you were manager of Leinster for uh, was it four or five years from 2002, 2007. Um, what gave you the initial uh, idea to set up uh, Line of Sports and, and to move in that direction? Um, what gave me the idea? I mean, I, I had the dream job in many ways and I had, I think, six seasons with Leinster. Uh, four different coaches uh, began under Matt Williams, uh, Gary Ella, Declan Kidney, Michael Cheka. Um, and, and thoroughly enjoyed my time there and in some ways miss it still. but. I got to a point in my own life where I needed to be a little bit more in control of, you know, who I was, what I wanted to do. And there's a little bit of Groundhog Day and you guys will know from playing, it's not dissimilar in the backroom team. And um, I had a very good mentor, um, Paul McNaughton, who was director of rugby in Leinster at the time. And, he, you know, like most career coaching models, he sort of said, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? And, you know, what do you want to do? And the things that I enjoyed were uh, the player side of things and, and looking after their requirements off field. And the piece that I added to that was the fact that I had a business and marketing background and as a former high performance sailor, had a huge interest in sponsorship. Um, and I, I, I took a bit of a leap of faith in 2007, which was just before Leinster started winning trophies. Um, and just before I'm going to say the last recession, but it looks like we're going to have to go through another one now. Mm. Um, and um, it was really just about uh, trying to take control of what I was good at, what I enjoyed and where I wanted to get to. So the first five or six years were particularly tough. Um, and then we've had a very good five or six years um, and grown the business and the profile. Um, and who knows what's going to come next uh, because we're likely to go into some form of recession beyond this. And I think sport will recover, but it'll be slower than other industries. Yeah, I suppose the gathering of people getting back together is the same for me with music and stuff. I, I look at it the same. It's well, when will we get back on the stage? Who knows? I think people might be uh, a bit more reluctant to gather in big numbers, but at the same time, it's so important for us all to get back to, to doing things like that. And do you think, I know, again, this is another hypothetical question, but do you think they'd they'd play these games behind closed doors? Uh, like uh, there's been some suggestions. Do you think that could that could be a possibility? Well, again, in the short term, if it's uh, a case of finishing uh, leagues or cups or in any sport, that there's, there is an argument that if the government of the various <coughs> countries relax uh, the restrictions around gatherings or groups of people being in the same place for a long time, that it is a possibility. Um, I, I guess it all comes back to when the season will resume. Um, and in the same vein, you know, if we're going to read between the lines from the press around international rugby, it looks like there could be quite a hectic 
sort of Q3, Q4 of 2020, where there'll be a lot of test games, but will fans be allowed to travel? Um, so certainly playing the games gives us live sport, but it doesn't give us gate receipts. And yeah. it may be a step towards resuming to mass gatherings. Um, but again, the word hypothetical, yeah. you know, uh, we don't know and we've got to follow the government guidelines nationally and internationally. Um, so if you're a French team and you've got to travel to the UK or an English team and you've got to travel to Ireland, et cetera, it's, it's going to be very much dependent on a collaborative approach of multi uh, multinations or multi-countries. Mm. And uh, how about your, your own players then? Have you been, would you be in touch with them much over the last yeah, few years? Yeah, I mean, a bit like this, modern technology gives you a good opportunity to stay in touch. Um, you know, we, we initially circulated a lot of online courses and books to read and things that guys could be doing. I suppose, like us all, it took a week or two or maybe three to settle into a bit of routine. Um, but quite a few of the guys I'd be in touch with daily uh, or every second day. Um, house party, FaceTime, Zoom is a great way to stay connected. And I think everybody, whether we're in business or with families or sports people, are all settling into a bit of a routine or this new normal. Mm. Everybody, um, Certainly uh, in Irish rugby, the guys all have very specific programs that they're undertaking. Most have home gyms. Uh, most are seeing that the mental benefits of training are equally important to the physical benefits. Um, but the longer this goes on, I suppose the less conditioned that sports people will become to competitive action. Yeah, it's, the, it's that, um, as you say, that club connection, that social connection. We were talking to Jimmy Cairns, the Munster doctor last week, and he was saying it's just so important to keep lads stimulated because these guys who, who thrive, these are guys who thrive in a team environment. So everybody's becoming very tech savvy with uh, as you say house party zoom skype everything we even had a family call on zoom the other day with uh with my mother-in-law and his mom and dad and um like so she's working away on zoom and this is the same lady who we went on holidays a few years ago and she said keep in touch and send me an internet <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so, different um, you know, we've, we've been trying to be as creative as we can as well in terms of the information that we're providing the athletes with. And that's wider than just the rugby group, you know, good books to read, uh, ways to develop on a personal level, uh, ways to upskill. Quite a few of the guys using the time to get stuck into college and finish stuff that they've maybe been deferring. Uh, Josh Van Der Fleer, James Ryan, uh, certainly be two that have... Um, see education as a really good way to spend their time. Uh, I think the training bit is important for them all. Uh, and this new way of communicating essentially is socialization for the short term. And uh, there's obviously groups of players that are living together and have been isolating together. So, you know, I'm sure they're getting a bit bored of each other, but you know, such is life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so with those with the players that you have, you know, when I when I was playing, uh, it's a long time ago now, and I think sports agents uh, was an it was a new term and it was a, a new profession, and uh, there was only one or two within the country um, back when I first met an agent. I actually remember meeting an agent for the first time, and he said, um, 
Baz, my man, I don't know whether to represent you as a rugby player or as a or as a singer, because I hear you've got the X Factor. I know it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> trying uh, to say you're monorail. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly. He was wearing the candy stripe suit and all that. So it was, it was what you might see in the movies as uh, a sports agent, but uh, you seem to be covering a hell of a lot more than than just the the contract. Uh, side of things it's a uh, you know you're you're covering every spoke of the wheel by by the way you're talking well it's certainly trying to you know when I when I started this business in 2007 or late 2006 there were 38 rugby agents in Ireland but there was still only 160 players right uh, everybody wants to be an agent and everybody thinks it's glamorous and you know it's cool and you know the Jerry Maguire analogy gets used all the time <laughs> yeah. um, and I think what I tried to do was to do it differently um, and and take a kind of more holistic viewpoint that um, our responsibility is to support athletes off field and to help them in every aspect of their uh, life you know on field via contract but off field in terms of like we discussed personal development education <laughs> preparation for transition uh, mentoring uh, advice um, and I, there was an agent at the time who said to me at the time you can never be friends with the people you represent and I said actually I totally disagree with that I think the better that you know somebody uh, the mm. more you can get out of them and the better you can support them and I think it's through that relationship that you get the most out of people um, and I always tell the lads I'm, I'm here to help you help yourself um, and we made a decision about four years ago to outsource the contract negotiation side of our business. Um, so we now use eSportif, who are probably the largest global rugby agency. Um, they have market intelligence in all the territories. Uh, they have individuals in every market who has relationships with the clubs, directors of rugby, coaches. Um, and it's become much more scientific uh, in the last five or six years, um, like most things, it's data-driven. So at any point in time, eSportif can provide a list of off-contract players, uh, clubs looking for players in position. Um, because of their scale, a pretty broad and accurate uh, salary comparison. Um, but I think, again, it comes back to the word relationships. And in each territory, their, their principle has excellent relationships with DORs, CEOs, head coaches, etc. So for me, it makes the, tra the uh, negotiation piece very simple. Mm. Um, it makes it very um, creditable. And it's about doing good, smart business. And like all negotiation, it has to end in a win-win. So what that allows us to do is... Uh, ensure the player has the best on-field service in terms of maximizing their value through what we believe is the best company in the world to do that. And then it allows us focus on our strengths, which is the personal development and the management and obviously the commercialization of those individuals. And it takes a bit of a drill down and it takes time to get to know individuals and to know what they're good at and to know what they enjoy and uh, to know where their strengths are and, and subsequently their weaknesses. And then it's about trying to create opportunities for them over the time of their playing career, um, but also to support them 
at the transition part of that career. Um, and I remember one particular rugby player who required to retire two years ago saying to me, does this mean I don't get access to you anymore? I said, no, absolutely. It's quite the opposite. Um, so what we did over the last couple of years was we were able to use this model to attract the likes of Connor Murray and Joey Carberry and James Ryan and Ty Furlong and Dan Levy and all the up and coming talented players. And by providing them with the support of eSportif in terms of negotiating their on-field contracts, we were able to provide them essentially with the full service. And, and that's what differentiates it from being a traditional agency mm. model uh, where they come in at the time when you require a job. And I remember Philippe Cantapone saying to me about 10 years ago, you know, you only need an agent when you need a job. Mm. But you I, still I, need people around you. I think that's easy for, for someone to like Philippe, maybe because he's at the top of the game and he's... Uh, He's very. He was very much in demand, right? But mm-hmm. I often felt when I was playing that uh, when it just came down to contract negotiation for your agent, there was always a sense that your agent is also representing uh, X amount of players that potentially are in the same position as you. And even though they might be in the same province, you are still negotiating with the IRFU at the end of the day. So there was, it was, it was always just a hunch that I had that maybe you're being bargained or you're getting... I'll give you this guy if you give me X amount more for this fella. Um, that's how I felt. I never felt, you know, and I think what you've just described is so much more clear. And when you when you take the contract negotiations out of it, what I think I would have benefited most from is the what you can offer someone, as you said, aside from that. And I think as well, it allows me to sit on the side of the player throughout the contract negotiation mm. um, as a sense check or a sounding board. Um, and I think as as agency has evolved, you know, there isn't that, you know, stigma of horse trading. Um, if you take Andrew Trimble and you pay him this, we'll get you Barry Murphy and we'll pay him that. Uh, that doesn't really exist. It's, it's much more no scientific. Deal. No deal. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's far more scientific now and it's far more transparent. Yeah. Um, whereas, and, and, and possibly the reason I ended up outsourcing this was because you know, if we had a player who required a job, the first thing we did was ring the people we knew. So if I had Barry Murphy coming off contract and I said, right, who do I know? I'll ring Declan Kidney. I'll ring David Humphreys. I'll ring Guy Easterby. I'll ask them, you know, what are your requirements? You know, are you looking for a player in this position? Um, and for me, the whole thing became much more scientific. You know, why wouldn't you use a company that specializes that has the relationship, that has the data, that can negotiate and has a track record. And it takes a huge piece away from us then and just allows us to focus on the person, Um, which is the piece that I enjoy, which is how I ended up in this. Mm. Because I always believe that if you're good at something, you enjoy it, you get better. But if you're doing stuff that you don't enjoy, like sitting in front of a club or a union, negotiating and you know, trying to get the best deal, never knowing if it's the best deal because you never know what anybody else is on. Um, so I think dispelling that myth that, well, if he represents five players who play out half, you know, there's Chinese walls or I'm not getting the best value. It means that you know the value of five players in the test game plus the wider network. So you never are very unlucky to be on the same cycle as somebody else. And you're very lucky 
you're more than likely not in the same development cycle or age grade or uh, on-field caps. Mm. So I think for me, it gives far more confidence in the model that if you represent a player here, here and here, they know you know what you're doing. Yeah, you're dealing with each part of a player's career and um, I suppose you're gaining experience with how to deal with different, and I know everyone's different, but... yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, we're just managing people. And we yeah. all have the same fears, insecurities, challenges, you know, highs and lows. And, and it's about trying to help athletes with that aspect of their life so that when they go and do what they do or they're getting paid to play, they can focus on that and they're not worried about all this stuff. Mm. So it's a little bit different. Um, a lot of people would argue it's not as commercially viable as being a traditional agent where you just parachute in, negotiate a contract, take a fee. Um, but again, I just see, see it evolving Yeah, you know, over time. And that's allowed us to attract the likes of Paul and Gary O'Donovan and Kelly Harrington and Annalise Murphy in the high-performance space. And we don't generally you know, work or look to work with every athlete out there. Very sort of selfish about the fact that if I'm going to share my time and my expertise, I want to do it with people I enjoy spending time with. Right. You know, so Andrew, for instance, we've built up a great relationship over the years. It's mutually beneficial. And it's never work because I enjoy his company. Um, you know, and it's it's a good partnership. Isn't that right, Andrew? Yeah, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> how much yeah. how much am I bringing his his good name through the through the shit now, man? Is that, is that <laughs> how am I affecting his brand negatively in any way? Far from it. Right? You guys have a really nice blend. <laughs> you know, really nice blend. Well, that's great. Well, look, uh, I loved I loved that chat, man. That was great and great to to get an update on on what you're doing, and it's uh, it's really important. I'm glad the players. Uh, that you have or have got that kind of approach so um, thanks for taking the time we'll leave you back well, thanks to, for having me on gents yeah no back to uh, sharpening crayons and <laughs> cutting out things from magazines and at least the sun shining I mean that's been one of the big positives is the weather's been good the last couple of weeks so exactly. it's a great opportunity to get outdoors and you know, spend yeah. time with your kids nice right. one Dave we'll leave you back to that Dave thanks so much for that. look Take after yourself easy. man stay safe you too Dave see ya all the best take care bye bye COVID-19 or coronavirus is here. By taking a few simple steps, we can slow the virus down and help protect everyone. Wash your hands more often for at least 20 seconds with soap and water. If you cough or sneeze, use a tissue or cover your mouth with your elbow, then bin the tissue and wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth and keep surfaces clean. Distance yourself at least two meters, six feet away from other people especially those who might be unwell. Stop shaking hands or hugging when saying hello or greeting other people. For updated factual information and advice, go to hse.ie or call 1850-24-1850. Protection from coronavirus. It's in our hands. Well, one Irish player that flew out of the country when the season was put on hold and is Ulster and Ireland fullback Will Addison, who flew back to the family farm in England and has just shown us blisters on his hands from all the look at those. So, uh, what's that from doing? Because I haven't, I get blisters pointing. Uh, that's not from the farm. That's from me spending a bit too much time alone. I'd say. 
No, uh, I was putting in some fence posts the other day. I tried to do a really impressive video to look like it was a home workout, but my phone fell flat on its face and I was just left hammering on my own. So, yeah, I was just putting some fence posts in. So does that does the, the internet get in the way of proper farming, yeah? Social media? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I'm not quite used to either farming or social media, so I'm not very good at either. <laughs> okay. So where is the family farm? So we're up just underneath Scotland uh, in a county called Cumbria. So dad's family uh, has been farming here for about 400 years. Um, so a long time. And then all my Irish family are obviously farming as well. So they're in Monaghan and Enniskill and all farming. And then my English family are all over here farming as well. So we're all busy with that. Your, English, or your, your Irish family, Will, I, I must say, I, I took your Irish family with a pinch of salt. I thought you were as Irish as... Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But then I met you. I was chanting after the the Claremont game on your yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. What is that accent? It's an Ulster accent, but whereabouts is that? So she grew up in Enniskill, actually in Cash, where I think uh, a few of the lads used to holiday and stuff like that. And then she was in Enniskillen until she was 18, 19, and then went to Trinity for uni. Uh, and then she ended up coming to England for work and then met my dad, and then he snatched her back to the farm. That was that. So, that was the end of her. And that was that. And then she's probably lost a little bit of the accent, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably a bit a bit lost like mine now. Okay. But she she's she's comfortable on the farm, and so are you. So what kind of farming are you doing? Uh, we're a dairy farm, so we're an organic dairy, but we've got a bit of beef uh, and some fat lambs at the moment. But I'm tasked with milking cows at the moment. So I had my missus in the cow, in the milking parlour the other day, so she had a crack at that. So, uh, yeah, we're all mucking in. Wow. So is that up at five o'clock in the morning and in the milking parlour or what? Yeah, about half five, six o'clock I'm up uh, and milking. So it's pretty, I was trying to call in sick today, but it's pretty hard when you're in quarantine with your own dad, so with your own <laughs> boss. <laughs> so yeah, I was trying to call out on that one, but yeah, it's a, it's a six o'clock start most days at the minute. Brilliant. I've Speaking of CJ Stander, I've seen him uh, on his farm in South Africa and he's like dodging sheep and uh, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, have you been up to any anything like that? Uh, no, dad was trying to think of little things to me. I'm not a big gym goer, so it's actually quite good for me to be keeping pretty fit on the farm because I wouldn't be lifting weights in a garage like some of the lads are. So it's quite good for me just to be lifting bales of hay and things like that. That's keeping me fit at the moment. But uh, yeah, in terms of dodging animals, probably just my dog at the moment. Yeah. yeah I thought CJ being in South Africa was a bit lame out of him dodging a, a sheep. I was like, yeah, get, get, your, get yourself a lump of meat and stroll out into the fucking jungle and get in front of a lion and we'll see how impressive you are. <laughs> yeah, when in Rome, exactly. Yeah. Um, so... And how are you guys keeping? Good, man, yeah. yeah. Um, my the, the only uh, kind of manual labour that I could comparatively uh, say that I'm doing something like you is power hosing my, my back wall, which is so lame in comparison to getting up at five o'clock in the morning milking cows oh honestly yeah i think i'm dressing up what i'm actually doing i was basically my missus was like i think we need to take you out of belfast because i was in a kind of feral state of just getting up late playing fifa netflix and i think she saw a different side of me so i think she thought she had to get me back home and do some proper work because i was uh yeah i was manging around in my underpants far too long (laughs) (laughs) but that i can relate to 
So this oh, makes yeah. sense. This makes sense, Will, because um, we know that Pat has been texting everybody in World Rugby, and either either you genuinely like the show and like us, or you're just way too sound for your own good. <laughs> you, just, <laughs> you just keep replying to Pat. Yeah, me and Pat were talking. I think last time me and Pat were chatting about a wedding somewhere, so we're fully best mates now. Yeah. Oh, he'd be delighted with that. Won't hear the end of that now. He'd be talking about Will. He'd be saying, "You just don't know Will like I know Will." <laughs> that's <laughs> like, the that's same. Like, the same there he is. <laughs> uh, and so, come here. When you say you're you're not uh, into gym training and stuff like that, have you been given programs to to do? Are you are you doing yeah. every day? Yeah, the lads have been really good, actually. Uh, they're using technology pretty well. So we've got like a, a bit of a catch-up every Monday. With We've got mini groups and my rehab lead, Shane, he's kind of taking charge of my mini group. So we have a catch-up with him on a Monday. There's the option for Pilates, yoga, all that kind of stuff early in the morning if you want to do it. Um, and then the lads, I'm not running at the moment, but bless the lads, they've got to do a Bronco every Friday. Um so they've got GPS all sent out, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I feel sorry for them. I think a few lads might attach it to the dog. Yeah, do pretty well. I think then the equipment, so there's what bikes knocking around. Yeah, all, all, everything's pretty good for the lads to, to get hold of gym equipment. So they're going pretty well. Broncos, are they're, that's pretty old school, Will, isn't it? Like, it's, um, yeah. I know these things kind of go full uh, full circle. After a while, something becomes cool again with S&C yeah. coaches, but Broncos in all like an old fashioned, um, it's, it's a finisher on a Friday, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think we've gone back to that kind of prison rules of just doing press ups and Broncos. That's about all we can muster at the moment. So the lads are just doing lengths of fields wherever they can find, just pacing it out. And then, yeah, the Broncos aren't fun. So I think it's, what is it? 20 about 40 back, 60 back five times. So pretty tough. I think shana has got 420 that he said the other day, but, um, yeah, I'm not too sure. We'll see. Mm, nice. Yeah. yeah. And they're all given their GPS though, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the lads posted them all through our letterboxes about two, three weeks ago. So we're, yeah, no room to hide actually in this, uh, in this quarantine time. So yeah, no tough for the lads, but they're, they're digging in. Just stra- strap one onto the dog, man, and just <clears throat> drive around the tractor chasing them around. <laughs> exactly. <they're> like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Will is flying us. Boys are trading through the roof. Yeah, no, that'd be the way. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, how so I might have to try that? How is the injury, man? How how far off are you from running? Yeah, good. I think we're basically just. I'm probably one of the lucky ones, like other lads who have got knocks and bruises, that we're probably not going to get an opportunity to rest like this again. So yeah, my calf, which I was suffering with in the Six Nations, that's fully healed, and then um, all the other aches and pains are ticking away at the moment. So I think it's just more just using it as a as a chance to to get extra healing and robustness in us, and then. I'm out on the bike and then I think probably the next few weeks I'll be into running again. Okay. You know, there's no rush with this kind of thing. So just kind of taking every week and just doing, actually the farm's keeping me well fit. So just ticking away with that at the minute. Is everybody, is everybody kind of thinking uh, we may as well take the break now while we have it? Because if the season obviously gets extended, then there'll be, there'll be very little downtime between over the end of the season and start of next season obviously no one yeah is, but take take a break while it's there is that what the general i think so yeah i think it's there's not going to be the opportunity to rewind like this and just take a minute to breathe so i think everyone's either taking it as a chance to improve something outside of rugby whether that's call of duty or learning a language i don't know but 
I think the lads have been encouraged to try and do some sort of self-development um, and then, yeah, just using it as a time to let the body heal and then then we'll get start ramping up the training as we get closer to any prospective dates we've got to get back into proper organised training. And then in terms of the season itself, it's been, a, I suppose, a stop-start season for you with the, a few injuries. Yeah, yeah, it's been a bit, well, obviously, it seems a long time ago since the World Cup, but uh was disappointed not to make the playing in the end. But uh, as it happened, I had a, a bit of an injury just once the lads had landed. And I think there was a opportunity maybe for me to end up over there. And then, I, unfortunately, I had an injury of Ulster. So, yeah, it's been stop and start. I've really enjoyed it. Like, it's always the name of ours to reach knockout rugby and whatever we do. And I think where we were, where we were, we were we were in the course final with, uh, to lose and then we were looking like we were going to get knockout rugby in the Pro 14 as well. So, you know, a successful season overall and when I did play for Ulster, I really enjoyed it. It's just one of those stop-start campaigns and then you don't really expect one of those stops to be a worldwide pandemic, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. And what is the vibe over in England at the moment and with the pandemic uh, is, uh, you know, it's, it's getting quite serious there in terms of the number of cases and the number of deaths. Yeah, so my sister, she's up from London at the moment, so uh, she's doing that. So she's back at the farm now working, but I think she's just put been put on furlough, so she's going to have a bit more time in her hands. And then my brother's actually, he's an engineer, he got the brains of the family, so he's actually designing ventilators at the moment. Oh, wow. So, so he's really, really full on. So he's working nine to nine at night. So, uh, yeah, he's pretty full on. So, yeah, I feel pretty guilty just here twiddling my thumbs watching Netflix when he's off doing that kind of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very serious. I'm in a neck of the woods that is, is so quiet, really, that I think people have used it as, a, as an escape from the city. So it's, it's actually a little bit busier here than it normally is. But in terms of me coming home, it's as normal, really. I'd normally, if I was at sale, I'd have come up the road worked on the farm so it doesn't feel any different to me really is that a big uh was a big rugby family then you grew up in in will with your with your brother and sister and and father is it is that something you've you've grown with since you were a kid yeah yeah so my dad's got three siblings uh two of which are brothers who've all got young lads so uh there's we all live in the same village as well it's very cumbrian it's kind of it's very similar to Ferman and my other side of the family. Uh, we've all got web feet, that kind of thing. So we all, we, we all live in the same area. So actually yesterday was a bit of an interesting one. We normally have like a big Easter egg hunt in the family because there's about 20 of us all in the one village. And my uncle, he's real creative. So he did like a James Bond themed one two years ago uh, and attached like a, a tractor battery to a, to a dog cage. And I'd hid all the Easter eggs inside this dog cage, which I had to crack a code to get into. And then one of the dogs actually brushed its nose up against the cage and got a huge electric shock. So <laughs> we missed out. We missed out on a, an Easter egg. We actually did a little one yesterday, but it was like a social distancing one. So we set up uh, different like little clues around the farm and things like that for different members of our family to go and follow. So we kept out of each of us. So my contribution was attaching one of my uh, cuddly toys from when I was a baby was Simba, the, the lion. So I managed to strap him to a, to a rock face that we have on the farm. And then I had a load of toy cows. So I put those underneath like the stampede in the Lion King. So they had to find a way to there and save Simba. And he had an egg inside him. So that was about as exciting as we've got. But uh, yeah, there's loads of family around. And we, we were all mad into rugby or hockey or football, whatever it is. So we've got a very com- competitive sports uh, family. And all used to knock into each other, make each other cry when we were younger. So uh, we're all still playing sport now. Wow. That's hilarious, man. That's pretty cool. Um, and did you was was professional sport always the the goal for you as a kid? Was it always rugby? Were there other sports? 
that you um, were kind of no, like in? I, I kind of played everything I could I could really. So uh, I actually used to ski to quite a high level. Um, so we used to do ski racing on a Saturday. There's an area called Kendall. So I used to go every Saturday night. I used to do dry scope, sl- dry ski slope slalom skiing. Um, so uh, yeah, pretty random. So I used to do football on a Saturday morning, skiing on a Saturday night, and then rugby on a Sunday. And my brother would have been the same. So I think that's skiing where. So, uh, so we've got. It was like a, so. There's an area called Kendall. It's a little town, probably half an hour away from me here, and they had a dry ski slope which was about 200 meters long. Oh. We used to do slalom down there, and then I used to do like kind of a, a a few other competitions around the north of England as well. And then I think if, if rugby hadn't worked out for me, I'd have ended up ski instructing somewhere in the, in Austria or something like that. But uh, wow. the way things went, I got my academy contract at sale and then headed down there. But no, probably rugby wasn't always the plan. I think I, I was always really keen on it. Um, but when I was 15 or 16, I was actually in Newcastle Falcons catchment area and. It was at that stage where you ever get picked up or you don't. And uh, the Newcastle Falcons Academy people, they were like, no, we're not too keen on you. You don't like to make tackles. You you haven't got a good pass. So I kind of got dropped away by them. And then by chance, a, a sale academy manager, he was watching some rugby camp I was on in summer. And he just asked if I fancied coming down. And so they had to ask Newcastle permission to to get hold of me. And then, yeah, ended up playing for their second team when I was 16, 17. And then, yeah, ended up playing for them. So no, it wasn't really an organised plan. And then even when I got my academy contract at, at uh, Sale, my mum was like, you have to do university, otherwise I'm not letting you go down to, to Manchester. So I kind of had to keep ticking away with university at the same time. So it was never the plan up until I played my first game for Sale, really. Mm. I mean, skied uh, in, in recent years. Have you been allowed to ski? No, I actually, I, I don't know if I should say this, but I snuck off when I was at Sale with a few of my mates one time. <laughs> Um, so we've snuck off, but I'd, like obviously you know that how tightly uh, things are run over in Ireland. So I don't think I'd be able to get away with it now. But there was one time that me and two of the other lads we uh, drove down to London to play London Irish, and then we we were like, oh yeah, we had a week off in the season, so we're like, oh we'll we'll uh, we'll go away somewhere. So our manager didn't know where we were, so I drove us to France and from from London, and then we ended up skiing. And he found out Steve Diamond. And he said, I heard you skiing. I said, I'm in Verbier. So we ended up driving from, from France to Switzerland to ski with him. So I managed to get away with it without injuring myself. But I then pulled out of the game when I got back. So it wasn't very successful. Oh. But so no, but it was real good fun. I love skiing and hopefully I'll get back to it after I'm finished up. Yeah, we skied a lot when we were um, when we were growing up. And, uh, and I hadn't skied in years. And there was uh, one, one year I was coming back from an injury. And uh, a few mates of mine and, and my wife, they were all going on a skiing trip. So we joined them. And I planned to just go and just like till I get coffees, you know, take it easy and, and go for walks or whatever. And then we got there and I kind of fancied a wee bit of a ski. <laughs> and uh, my wife was pregnant at the time as well. So she was really nervous. So the two of us were nervously kind of skiing around. And I had um, the old Ulster um, avalanche jacket. And it had AT, <laughs> AT really obviously on the on the front of it. And I came down and I was arriving at this lift and uh, and I saw Johnny Bell, uh, Mark McCall and David Humphreys all standing at the bottom of the lift. McCall and uh, Humphreys had obviously moved on. There was Harrison's and Gloucester, but Johnny Bell was there, took a video of me arriving and put it into the WhatsApp group in the team. So, yeah. Ned. Um, 
Yeah. My my experience was very similar. Me and Steve Diamond were sat on a ski lift and I put I basically hadn't played the previous two weeks because I had a little hammy tweak and we were sat on this ski lift going up the mountain. And he's like, Oh well, you're skiing now, so you'll be grand for ski for the game next week, won't you? I'm like, Yeah, no trouble. And then in the warm up I had to pull out because my hammy tightened up. So oh, nice. that was a nightmare. But uh, no, I would loved it. It's a great holiday, isn't it? So there was yeah, there was never much tr- there was never much threat of becoming a, a, a professional skier and growing up in Limerick City. I must tell you, lads, I can't I can't, I can't really relate to this. I'd love to see my I'd love to see my father's face if I turned around to him at fourteen and said, "I'm going to be a professional skier." Actually, guys. <laughs> I wish I hadn't brought it up because I've actually got a ski person on my T-shirt, so I seem like the biggest nerd in the world now. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, yeah. It's, uh, it's all good. So, uh, look, we're both big, massive fans of the way you play rugby um, and how you you attack and and your ability to create space. Um, is that something that just came to you naturally, or did did someone in your development as a rugby player kind of teach you how to? how to sit down at a fence and how to, to create that kind of space around you? Um, I was probably one of those greedy players when I was younger that I always just loved r- running with the ball and probably um, in the area I was living in, I'd be not the best player going. I was never the best player when I was younger, but I think I always relied on me doing something in a game to try and make something of nothing. So I've always enjoyed that. And then when I went professional, I went to sale. Um, Steve Diamond was brilliant for that. He was always just like, no, just pick your head up and back yourself there's never a bad if you and I think one good bit of advice I actually got from Danny Cipriani which he got off uh, Sean Edwards was whatever your first thing that comes into your head just back that decision once you start second guessing things and have four different thoughts in your head you'll probably make a mistake so I've always just had the mindset if I see something I'll have a crack at it and more than likely because you back your skill level you back your ability it'll come off whereas if you start to be nervous and overthink things and overanalyze things I mean that's when you get a bit a bit, a bit rigid and you don't really flow in the game you play uh, you play a bit of 13 and 15 will um yeah you prefer a bit more space at 15 do you yeah i think so this is the first season i've actually played at 15 uh, before that i've only played the yard game every season in case someone's had an injury so 13 was always my favorite position and probably still is at the moment but i probably i think we'll end up enjoying 15 more because of that little bit more space and then there's probably a little bit more time to read the game. I think um, what I've learned is that in 13, you're always involved in the game. You've always got something to do in defence, whether that's talking to people inside and outside of you. And in attack, you've always got the ability to have an influence. Whereas 15, sometimes you could just probably put down a seat and just watch the game go by for a little bit. So you can kind of lose yourself in the game sometimes. So it's always a bit of a challenge for me to kind of keep keep watching the game, making sure I'm still involved in it. Otherwise, you can you can miss a moment. So no, it's something I'm learning and really enjoying the challenge of playing 15 this year. But having watched uh, Barry when I was younger, cutting through the sale defence, that was always the position I uh, used to love. <laughs> uh, stop, stop. You must, be, you must be a lot older than I thought you were, Will. <laughs> oh man, I can remember saying to Strings a few years ago when, when I was playing with Strings, I was like, whatever happened to Barry Murphy when he was playing? And he was like, Ah, geez, you went downhill for a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was my one shining moment. And then it was all downhill after that. No, we're, actually, yeah, plenty of you. we're actually reviewing that game uh, later on in the show um, because it was streamed on the Monster uh, supporters' website during the week. So yeah. Trimby no, t- I can... tortured himself and sat down and watched it. 
No, I do remember. I can obviously the big the big moment was when you when uh, Paul O'Connell and Donica smashed Cheval off the kickoff. Yeah, and then uh, yeah. yeah, and then obviously your try. Obviously, that was the highlight. I no, love... no, the highlight for me was Shabal's chip and cheese. Oh man! Yeah, you see that? Yeah, yeah. He was in the so basically he left the year I started when I was sixteen. I was driving down from here, which is about two hours north. And I was going into the car park and the first person I saw was Chabal coming out of the car park. But he was smoking and he was in a smart car. <laughs> so I just thought, I was like, oh man, this is something different. So. Oh yeah, I heard that, that he had a little, tiny little... Yeah, he, he lived in a fairly central area of Manchester and I think he quite liked the city buzz. So he used to drive a smart car and then all the lads used to say that he used to light up Fairmount as well. That um, that team, and, and probably still to an extent, like Seal is, I remember you saying it's like the Night's Watch. It's like yeah. there's, there's so many characters, so many characters of rugby, especially that 2006 team. Um, yeah. Is there anybody stands out to you or anybody, any kind of... Uh, yeah, so I can remember we were on a bus on the way back from, I don't know, London somewhere. And then that's when we, when we uh, announced our Night's Watch status because we were like, every time someone buggers up on the piss or has an incident on the field, they'll end up being sacked by the current club and then no doubt Sale will be the one who signs them. <laughs> so, so I can remember probably the one that stands out most would be Andy Powell, um, I think for obvious reasons. But I, I was only 19 when he arrived and I was at, at that time I was really lucky that I was getting a good run in the first team and I was like, oh, professional rugby's class, playing week in, week out. I'm only 19, still at university and then we've just signed Andy Powell, so that'd be great for an off the pitch. And anyway, he signed and the first trip we had away with him was away in Breve. And I was like, oh, class, I'll latch on to Pauli tonight. And anyway, I ended up the night getting pepper sprayed. So I probably thought it was more better of that. So, but oh man, there's, there's so many good blokes that I played with and probably characters you've got. We used to make up a team of the loose characters that we played with and you've got kind of like Cam Shepard, I think you might have come across it from Australia. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I think you played against him, Trimby, and yeah. he would have been one of my best mates and he's the loosest guy I know. And then you've got Paul at eight, Danny Cipriani, James O'Connor. Who else would you put in there? Uh, Marlon Yard's a loose character. All these random folk who have had pretty littered unsuccessful past who have come to sale and had a good time so we've always prided ourselves on our work off the pitch and luckily the lads since I've left have done pretty well on it and they're probably challenging for a title now yeah they're flying aren't they they'll be gutted with the interruption of the season now yeah definitely especially I think probably if it starts up all of a sudden most of their teams over in South Africa as well so whether they get those lads back as well but no they've been flying they've They've been building that for a lot of time now. And I can remember when I made the choice to move, Dime said, well, just make sure you, you back yourself to to fulfil your potential because we're going to be building something here for sure. And that's what they've done. So, mm. so no, yeah. they're a brilliant club. Um, very old school in a lot of its ways. But uh, yeah, they're, they're starting to turn a corner and win games now too. Yeah, but obviously you're you're in Ulster now and, and uh, you're flying as well and made two new brilliant signings for next year, Ian Madigan and Alvin yeah. Matheson. Um, what what are your aspirations for over the next couple of years, both for Ulster and personally? Um, probably as a team, like I've never won a senior trophy. So like one of the main reasons when Peely approached me to to come over was that I wanted to be part of a winning team. And luckily that's the vision Dan's got to be con- con- consistently compete in the championship. So uh, like you've been around Heineken Cup winning teams and Trimby's been in early teams as well. So like I'd love to be winning a trophy at some stage. The Heineken Cup would be the pinnacle, but 
a Pro 14 would be a brilliant competition to win as well. So trophies are in the forefront of everyone's mind at Ulster at the moment to, to eventually get there. But when you compete with teams like Leinster just down the road and the way Munster are improving, Connacht are improving, it's tough on your home side, let alone when you get into Europe. So now that's an aspiration. Then for me, it's just to play as much international rugby as I can and be in a winning team at Ulster. Very level-headed and, and um, very kind of you to give Munster and Connacht a mention there. <laughs> 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 yeah thanks <So> <laughs> uh well look man we've we've taken up enough of your time i think uh we'll let, you, all it. we'll let you back to the farm whatever the afternoon holds for you um milking i presume is done so milking yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, i've got to get rid of the blisters first <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, I think my, my, my missus actually isn't working today, so she wants to come out on a tractor. So we're going out uh, working on a tractor, so we'll see how that goes. Into a bit of hay somewhere, a bit of fooling That's around. It. Oh, man. <laughs> sick of each other. I don't think that'll happen. Uh, well, Very look, good. thanks a million for joining us, man. And uh, look, the best of luck in isolation, and we look forward to seeing you back on the pitch as soon as possible. Thanks for having me on, lads. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Take it easy. Catch you soon. You're listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Okay, over the weekend, we gave you all classic homework to do. Um, Each week, we'll be discussing classic movie, classic album, and a classic rugby match. Got some lovely ones coming up today. So we went with Automatic for the People by R.E.M., who, as I said earlier, are celebrating 40 years as a band this week. Goodwill Hunting and Monster versus Sale European Cup pool match from 2005-2006. So, Trimby, we'll start with Automatic for the People, oh. uh, 1992 release, I believe. Um, I think it was R.E.M.'s fourth album. They were a band 11 years at that stage. Yeah, was, um, that, was, that, was that album, it's obviously their most famous album, but it's strange for someone to have like, um, put out three albums and then peak, is it not? <laughs> I think back then it wasn't as much. Uh, ta- bands were allowed to evolve a little bit slower back then. Uh, whereas, and, and I think their first album, which I have forgotten the name of, was actually the most critically acclaimed album. So they oh, really? did in 1983. Uh, so they did kind of start off pretty strong as well. Um, but this by far my favourite album and one that, as I said, when we were talking about... Um, the the Smashing Pumpkins last week this defines an era of my life when I listen like I first saw or heard of R.E.M. when Losing My Religion came out I think it was two years previous um, that was my first time I, I think I remember hearing them and then seeing them was the video for Shiny Happy People which was on um, Out of Time which was the previous album do you remember the video for that? I do, yeah. It's one of the. Yeah. I'm actually not a massive REM fan, but that's one of the things that kind of sticks out at me. That video. Yeah, they're so unusual. Yeah, and they were like a lot of people will credit them for that for being the first alternative rock band. Mm. Um, I think Kirk Cobain credited them with with that as well, but being kind of Indian rock. But then it was automatic for the people, uh, and. I kind of proper fell in love with them listening to that. I remember lying in my brother's room, just listening to it start to finish back when you properly listen to albums. Um, opening track, Drive, kind of reminds me of Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall, has that kind of vibe about it. Michael Stripe's vocals are just so infectious and 
unique, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, what what were you um you you texted me over the weekend and said you were nearly in tears at one of uh, R.E.M. songs. Everybody hurts. Yes, that wasn't the song. That was the Hangover. <laughs> Um, from the from whenever I get some texts from you at half one, <laughs> and you've been at a quiz, yeah, <laughs> half one in the morning, right? yeah. yeah, you've had a big night, and then you would cry at anything the next day. Yeah, that's true. I, it was actually Saturday morning. I was listening to that, and it was um, <clears throat> such a sad song. Jesus Christ! And especially listen, I was listening nearly in tears on Saturday listening to it. Um, right ahead of its time, though. Like I don't think. Well, I don't know. Did people talk about mental health or was it were people as, as open about about it back then? Like it's kind of a current thing in the last five years. People have started becoming very aware mm. of their mental health. I think it was just back then you would just go up into your room and, and listen to that song and cry it out and then you'd be grand. Were you um, like um uh like the priest and the boss uh, listening to <laughs> No Surprises? <laughs> Tommy Tiernan. <laughs> was that Tommy Turner? Was it? Yeah, the end of Father Ted. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a few. I had a laugh listening to it as well because the Sidewinder sleeps tonight. It's the most quintessential REM song on the album. It just has that little bit of a drive to it. But do you ever remember trying to sing along to that for the chorus when it's like "Don't even try, wake her up," don't even try. <laughs> and I used to just make up the words. I don't know what the fuck you're saying. So you were like, "Did you say the words are "Don't even try, wake up"? Yeah. It's only just now I find out that out. I never knew. I've never no known. Way. Never known. known. Yeah. 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 There you go. It's it's very tricky. <laughs> you do always just try something, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. But I think Man on the Moon and Night Man on the Moon is it's up there. Brilliant song about Andy Kaufman, the the comedian who uh, I don't know if you've seen that film that Jim Carrey plays him in. Have you? Um. No. What is it? It's called Man on the Moon, but that that was a a, a movie that followed this song. Andy no. Kaufman was a was a comedian, an American comedian, and uh, this song is about him. And there's a film called Man on the Moon that Jim Carrey starred in, and there's a documentary about the making of that. So Andy Kaufman was kind of uh, he would do characters, and he was very much a um, uh, what's the word uh, method actor, where he would become the character and. Jim Carrey is quite a method actor as well. So he was being a method actor of a method actor in the film. It's phenomenal, man. So you forget, you're looking at him going, who, who, who is this again? Is, is Jim Carrey actually him? Do you know what I mean? You stop associating him with the actual original. It's brilliant. Watch that documentary. Oh, but, more homework. <laughs> uh, and then Night Swimming is like a film. It's like a, an entire film start to finish when you're listening to it. So you just... I think John Paul Jones of uh, Led Zeppelin fame wrote all the string arrangement for this album, did all the strings, and uh, uh, I think he would have, must have had a lot to do with that song because it's like an orchestra, it's a movie. It's, I love it. Yeah, I saw that actually. I watched a five-minute um, uh, documentary on YouTube, 10-minute documentary on YouTube, and, and they mentioned that. I didn't realize that was such a big deal. The song? No, that they brought your man in. I didn't realize that was kind of so significant. Uh, yeah, he's a genius. I also like the way they recorded it, or they wrote it. So the three three other members, which are, who are Peter Buck, Mike Mills, and Bill Berry, they wrote all the music, and Michael Stripe wasn't involved. Uh, and then they would present him with the song, with the album at the end, and he just put the lyrics over it and write oh, the really? actual songs. Yeah, that mad that, way to do it. I, I assume that's not normal. 
I suppose there's different ways to write. Every everyone has a different way of writing a song, and there's many different ways. But I just thought that was uh, that he's not involved in the day to day process of putting them mm. together. Um, but and they have full trust in him writing the stories and you know what the songs are about, what the album is essentially about, because mm. it is quite a like a, a melancholy old vibe to it. So it's obviously what he was going through. Anyway, moving on. 1997's Goodwill Hunting, uh, written by Matt Damon and starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Uh, what a film. You watched yeah. it last night? Yeah, I loved it. And I um, watched it not that long ago, like a couple of years ago. And I remember my feeling coming away from watching it recently, like a couple of years ago, was um, it's, it's not what it was. It's not what I remember it being. It's a little bit lame. And then watched it last night. And again, it could be that. Remember, um, I was saying to you before about um, how people become more emotional watching movies on planes. And you said because it's, that there's more oxygen, oxygen or something. Oxygen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's something about the, the levels of oxygen in the plane are higher. So you get a little bit of a high. Yeah. So you get a bit more emotional. Yeah, I, re- I read up on this. I Googled this actually this morning because I thought it was because, I don't know, like you're, there's a, like you're out of control or there's a vulnerability with being on a plane. Um, mm-hmm. So apparently there's um, physical things and then psychological triggers why people are more emotional because you've got <clears> nowhere <throat> to go as well. So you kind of just have to sit and wallow in whatever mm-hmm. is being delivered. But anyway, because of everything at the minute, because there's a heightened sense of kind of, um, of, of, it's just slightly more emotional at the minute because everything's so serious and there's so many people struggling and uh, and it's just such a weird period of our lives in mm. isolation that I think that maybe maybe the movie just um, connected with me a bit better. But I was that close. I was very close to bursting into tears oh. when Robin Williams um, I was uh, was cuddling them and I was like, "This is amazing! It's so powerful! It's am- oh, I was bawling." I was yeah. bawling and crying, even though I've seen it ten, ah, ten times. <laughs> 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 I bawling. Uh, but from the get-go, it's like goosebumps and teary-eyed. From, like, there's no messing about. In the first 15 minutes of this film, you're like, they cut to the chase so quickly. It's like, okay, janitor, genius, uh, hot, gar- hot girl, Harvard. Uh, he's try- you know, it's like, within 15 minutes, you've got it down. But you're already getting teary-eyed and goosebumpy and emotional straight away like they, you don't find you don't find out what's what's wrong with them you know you know there's there's an issue yeah. where he's got some baggage you don't find out till way on in the movie mm, I and, like that, and it comes out of nowhere as well it's not like a big build-up to to a moment it just comes out of nowhere yeah um the cigar or sorry the cigarette um yeah uh, wounds, whatever um and so you he i think it's maybe the uncertainty you never really find out what his backstory is and you're, you're always kind of wondering um, like everybody else is, everybody else trying to work them out. Um, mm. Yeah, it was class. It was so good. I, I forgot how good it was. Yeah. Couple of a couple of issues. I think um, uh, his chat with uh, Mini Driver is a little bit lame. A couple of times, he's, a little bit. Did the whole thing and the whole thing in the bar with your man. It was a bit gimmicky. Your man with the blonde ponytail. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, it was terrible." I yeah. could, I, I didn't like that scene at all. Yeah, and I his know. his his buddies, Matt Damon's buddies, are all uh, Casey and Ben Affleck. They're all uh, my guy, smart. <laughs> my guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as like I had it down as a few good scenes in it, and that was that's one of the I suppose quintessential scenes of the film. But I, I just didn't stand it's the test a, of time. It's the famous scene, but it's mm. it's not. The what does is, is, 
uh, how do you like them apples? Is apples supposed to be his testicles or something like that? I don't really no, get that. No, apparently that came from uh, World War I, <laughs> um, where they had a, a, a mortar grenade that they threw at opposition, or opposition, <laughs> enemy tanks. And then they, they were called toffee apples because of the shape of them, and they stuck to the tanks. And then they would blow up, whatever, and then they would say, how do you like them apples? Oh, so when he stuck it to the window, that's what he was talking about? Well, no, he's just, it just, then it became, it didn't become about sticking something. It just became, <laughs> it just became you know, a, a piece of good fortune or I'm winning over you. All right. Jeez, that's good. Um, that's good knowledge. Yeah. Good work. Um, I also, I don't know if I talked to you about this recently, but some, I talked to someone about it where the scene when uh, himself and Robin Williams, which is probably my favorite scene, are having a little bit of crack and they first have their, you know, they've had a couple of sessions where they're just sitting there not talking to each other. And then they have the one where they, they open up to each other and they start telling a few jokes and Robin Williams, I think, ad-libs a good bit of his stuff. Oh, really? And the story of his his wife farting in the bed and waking herself yeah. up. He came up with that off on the spot. Did he really? Because so, Matt Damon is creasing himself. Creasing. And you can see the camera is shaking because the, the <laughs> yeah. cameraman is laughing so much as well, apparently. Um, and it is like Robin Williams won an Oscar for his best important ask. Oh, he won an Oscar for that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I and thought Robin Williams was, he eventually, he, I, I like that relationship eventually, but I didn't like it for the first couple of scenes or the first couple of sessions of the therapy. Because I was like, Robin Williams, he was being a bit of a buzzkill. I was like, stop talking about your dead wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose he's setting the tone, really. That is his life, you know what I mean? He's, he's, uh, he, he's, he's got no one. He's a lonely old man. Yeah, he just brought it up one too many times. I yeah, <laughs> okay, leave it off. Uh, I also taught Mini Driver's class. I like that they made her, that she's an English girl and she's beautiful and good crack. Um, and I thought your man Stalisgard, the the evil mathematician, Asher, yeah. very good. Wasn't well. that evil either? Nah, he, he was the bad guy in the whole thing. <laughs> he wasn't that bad. He just wanted Will to fulfil his potential. Yeah, but all in all, brilliant film gets our seal of approval. Uh, my f- favourite scene is probably the not your fault scene because of the tears and the it's not your fault and it just kind of. Yeah, that sums it all up, doesn't it? Yeah, but an honourable uh, mention for the scene where uh, him and Ben Affleck are on the construction site and they're drinking tins on the bonnet of the car, yeah. and that's the turning point though, because mm. uh, Ben Affleck's the only one who can talk sense into him. Everybody's saying the same thing: get your finger out, and mm. uh, and Affleck's the one that he's got enough trust in that he listens to him. Yeah, I like the way he put it as well. It's like I, I the best I part. The best part of my day is that when I pull up to your door, strange, strange part of the day to have. Um, when, when I pull up to your door and you're not there, um, but then you are. So someday I hope you're not. I hope you're always there, man. I hope when I turn on my Skype in the morning for the next few months, you're always here. Don't the worst part leave. of my don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> the worst part of my day is the turn up and, and thinking you might not be there. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't do anything. It's just me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all you've got. Me and the twins. (laughs) Okay, uh, finally, uh, for my pleasure, we are going to talk briefly about Monster vs. Sale in the European Cup uh, group match 2005-2006. Look, it was my one one moment in the limelight, so give me it, right? Yeah. Um, And Um, I didn't choose it. The Monster Rugby supporters chose it as the, the game to show the other day. 
Yeah, you, um, your tribe was obviously brilliant. It was actually very Will Addison esque. Um, a little bit of a, a little <clears throat> bit, a couple of goose steps, few dummies, ball in two hands. You were ahead of your time, Barry. Uh, you know what wasn't ahead of its time? The footage was terrible. Yeah, the footage makes it. Yeah, it makes it look like ten, you're ten years older than it actually was. I don't think it works on a smart TV. Did you watch it on your TV or on your laptop? That's what it is on the smart no, TV. Yeah. You got to watch it on your laptop. It was fine. Yeah, um, yeah, it was some nice man. And the the thing that struck for me was uh, the no phones. There's no one on a phone in the stadium. And back then, it was like the atmosphere was it was different. It was a different game. Yeah. People are just like everyone had their parts played. The players, obviously, and uh, and the fans. Like when the players aren't doing their bit on the pitch, when there's a break in play the fans are doing their bit and they're creating an atmosphere and you could see the moments when they're singing Fields of Atten Rye stuff. You could see uh, Sheridan and a few of those sail players are like, what the fuck is going on yeah. here? And I'll never forget that from playing in that kind of atmosphere. Yeah. It was, uh, <clears throat> they were rattled. Quedo was rattled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dowling kept pushing him and stuff and just being a general pothole to him. And um, the other thing that kind of struck uh, um, stood out to me was Rogers kicking was incredible. Uh, the spiral, like there was one shot, one of his kicks to the right-hand touchline. I remember play, um, chatting to Johnny Sexton at one stage and he was saying, and it was when Leinster were just starting to get the better of Munster and Johnny was starting to get the better of Rog. And he was saying, well, you just have to look after your left-hand touchline, Rogers' right-hand touchline. You have to look after that. Right, and that's that's the one. That's right hand spiral ball yeah. just like bends nicely and then kicks right, kicks right, yeah. And he like more so more so his exit kicks like the ones that just went went straight out. The flight mm. on the ball was just a sight. Of, no one kicks a ball like that. No, Why? And back like then, yeah. skill they should be teach. And even the the big the most famous I suppose moment in that game was the Shabal hit from Dunners and Paul. But mm. if you watch before the kickoff, Paulie tells Raj like landed on Chabelle. Oh really? And he lands it on him like on a twopence, like the most yeah. perfect kick. And long um, as well. So it was he was getting man on ball and he was getting man on ball on the twenty two. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So that's that's an even tougher skill to execute. Yeah. And the speed that O'Connell is moving at like you know he was in his yeah. prime back then he was in probably his pop. only in his twenty six. Oh yeah just a little bit of thinning in the ginger hair. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. A little bit yeah. of thinning. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, here, what Don, like thought? you said about um, like you said about um, PNR last week, Donners looked unbelievable, man. Great head of hair on him. Oh, and his yeah. skin was so perfect. Orla was like, Jesus Christ, it was like, easy. <laughs> he was. He was a hard throw back then, Donica. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and then he kind of he's, he's got large features and he looks a bit ungainly now. I think. Now. <laughs> <laughs> here, tell me that's what true, uh, um, it was. So it was a shame almost that Seal got beat so badly because they played loads of really good rugby for long periods and mm. then Munster just did what Munster do just beat the crap out of them mm. but um, you have to tell me what was the what was the name of that play you know that play that you scored off where, where Raj kicks it and it just gets half charged down and then you collect the half charge down and then run the pitch uh, just just <laughs> j- jammy run do you know when you're that you're it's that like young chess. it's like a game of chess isn't it <laughs> You're that young and naive. You just chase everything like a lunatic. Just like, oh. yeah. chase everything Raj kicks or he'll yeah. give out to me. What you needed to bring into your game then was more dummies. I think you needed more dummies. Did I? Yeah. I yeah, I think you, you only, there was probably only double figures. I'd say you were just shy of double figures dummies. <laughs> <laughs> what's his name? What's your man's name? Barnes. 
Sure, Barnes. Sure, Barnes was calling me the man with the squiggly step, which stuck with me for a long time after that. <laughs> I don't thank him for it. Um, what else? There was a couple more brilliant moments. Uh, the last two minutes. There was only substitutions made after 84th mi- 84 minutes. Would you believe that? No <laughs> substitutions made. So everyone, And that was the norm back then, yeah. back, back in those times. And uh, yeah, it was just, I think, the last try from Wally. I didn't even know we had to score that to, to, to qualify in the note. Did you not? No, so naive. Naive. It was a better impact uh, on Wally that day than it was um, the other game that we reviewed because uh, Wally was the one that gave away the penalty then. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, this is Wally in his prime. Um, my my brother watched it the other night, my younger brother, and he got on to me to say, I remember the night out after that, we went down to Peter Clossy's bar and Claw wouldn't let him in because he had an earring. <laughs> and I had to go out and get him in how, how Peter Clossy is that um, so yeah look great times thank you very much to the Munster Rugby Supporters Club for, for playing that it was very enjoyable mm. I got to relive it now let's never speak of it again good times I was very um, proud, very right. proud thanks for all your all the Penguins as well for, for getting on and getting in touch and uh, sending messages they were very very thoughtful and nice um do you want to remind us why we're called why we're called penguins or why our people are called penguins again yeah because i think people um <clears throat> i say people you i think you have forgotten <laughs> i couldn't remember why they were called penguins so we it was during the world cup whenever we um wanted to mobilize our listeners and viewers more and get more out of them so during the world cup we we wanted to find out more gossip about what was going on uh, with injuries and get selection and what's going on behind the scenes at the world cup so and um, Game of Thrones was still pretty much on our radar at the time. Varys with his uh, little birds, um, he finds out all oh, what's going on in the kingdom. So we wanted an unflattering version of Varys' little birds. <laughs> so <laughs> so we tell us everything that's going on. What's the most clumsy, um, uh, uh, uncomplimentary bird we can think of? A penguin. So um, penguins are flying at the minute. They're in great form. And they're all, yeah. they're, all they're, they're loving life. And they're getting t- in touch loads. Uh, again, isolation is good for penguins. Um, Penguin of the week um, for the second <clears throat> running, Mark Hill uh, followed up his Leon move, uh, movie poster with um, uh, "I'm a feckin' legend" <laughs> 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 with uh, with Zebo. Uh, um, That's brilliant. What else? what else did he do here? There was a couple of honourable mentions. Uh, Shane McDaid rugby trick shots. I saw that. That wasn't that good. <laughs> Michael Harrison uh, got us a YouTube link for the 2018 Grand Slam game. I haven't watched it. Uh, John Roberts, uh, video of the young Munster fan watching the SEAL game with her family. Go on, Munster. How was that? How was that? Yeah, very good. Uh, and then another one, Mark Hill has got another, uh, put another one up there of myself. Um, and it was a happy Easter poster. It was in 1970s, David Attenborough. That's brilliant. Put all the penguins around. <laughs> around the big penguins. So fair play. All the penguins are flying. So Mark Hill is going to get that. Although uh, we're concerned that Mark uh, Mark has been flirting with um, uh, Alex Payne from the UK at House of Rugby. I saw that one. Frowned upon. <clears throat> yeah, easy up, Mark. A little yeah. slag. We'll let you away with it this time. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name has been up to it again uh, Quay Cooper his ridiculous piece of skill oh my god it's even better than the first one really yeah it's with an American football again I think he might be doing it for us now because we mentioned him I think he's kind of 
mm. uh, it's for our benefit. So I'd love to see some of our penguins try and recreate what Quake Cooper is doing. There you go. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Trimby, if you've got a challenge for us, we're going to leave it on this note. You've got a challenge for us this week, fitness-wise. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm getting a load of people on to me about the, the 100 press-ups in four minutes. I'm struggling um, with the 100 press-ups. I've got to... I've got like two or three goes. I've got low 90s, so it'll still take me another couple of weeks to get over 100. But um, are you happy to commit to this? Mm-hmm. This this new um, challenge. So the new challenge is uh, 100 burpees a day for a month. What? How how many burpees? <laughs> you didn't, didn't see that coming, did you? No. How you many? Thought, well, do how, you want to do it? We'll just do it for a week, will we? Yeah. That's how, on Saturday, how, Sunday. How hard would it be? To, how how many? How long does it take to do 100 burpees if you so, were to do it? Um, there's guys in um, a CrossFit group that they're doing like just over five minutes. A mate of mine who's pretty fit, he did it five and a half minutes. I did it um, 6.45, 7.05 and then 6.45. Wow. Sean um, O'Brien's been smashing them out as well, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, 100 burpees a day. Do it for the next week and then we'll check in. Maybe just don't don't go hard every single day. Maybe just kind of get them done. I don't want to see any penguins getting the injuries on our behalf. Or if you do get an injury, send a picture in. (laughs) (laughs) Preferably. All righty. We'll leave it there. Trimby, it's been great chatting to you. Um, I hope you look after yourselves. Stay safe. Stay indoors. Or just go out in your backyard and empower hose. Um, Park piss. (laughs) (laughs) Park piss the decking. Uh, I just got that mental image in my head. Uh, <laughs> thanks to everybody for watching and listening. Thanks to everyone and Joe for putting this together mm. for all your help and your your technological genius. Uh, thank you to Pat, Paul, Dermot and Anthony. This has been Baz and Andrews, House of Rugby. Here on Joe, together with Guinness. Party on. Party on. You were listening to Baz and Andrews, House of Rugby on Joe. Together with Guinness. Drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie for the facts.